Thanks, Pastor Ben. So this is my home church on Sundays, and I uh, love what God is doing here. Uh, my wife and I and our kids, um, we moved here about a year and a half from BC, and that's where I met Pastor Ben. Pastor Ben uh, baptized me when I first got saved, uh, like 17 years ago, or something like that. I was just a young pup then, um, and Ben and Heather have been uh, been really, really good friends to us, mentors to us, and just love how God's using them and the team here. What awesome worship that was. Hey, guys? Yeah. Wasn't that good? Yeah, come on. Give it up. So I want to give you a bit of a prelude, um, just a word that the Lord spoke to me and has been, been speaking to me over the last, I don't know, probably month, month and a half. I've been in the book of Isaiah. And... Um, and just as we were worshiping, I just felt like, uh, I felt like God wanted to ask if there was any thirsty people in the place tonight. And uh, Isaiah 55 says this, says, ho, ho, everyone who thirsts. He's trying to get our attention, right? And there's an appeal that goes out here to a certain type of person. It's the thirsty person. It's not an invitation to just anybody and everybody. He's saying, anyone Who thirsts? He says, Come to the waters, and you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? I just felt, you know, as we were worshiping there, and I know this is maybe true in my own life, we step into this place of worship and encounter with the presence of God. And we lift our hands and we say, you know, without your presence, there's no life, there's no meaning. But yet the day-to-day can mean something very different in our lives. And it's so easy to get caught up and distracted in the busyness of life that we forget that that cry of our hearts that we cried out to God tonight is really the only place that we will find true satisfaction and meaning and purpose and destiny in life. And we spend on things that aren't going to satisfy. We spend our efforts, we spend our time, we spend our money, we spend our talents on things that aren't going to satisfy. And so tonight, I believe that Jesus is extending an invitation to all of us tonight, although he has already been dealing with me very specifically in my life. And the invitation is to come to him because he will satisfy the thirst of our souls. He will satisfy every thirst that we have. Verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. He goes on in verse 6, and he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now the interesting thing is that Isaiah is speaking this to God's people. And he's saying if there's any wickedness, if there's any sin, when I think of that term wickedness or unrighteousness, it's not necessarily these evil sins, but really it's a resistance to the invitation that God is giving his people. Anything in us that resists and turns away from that invitation that Jesus gives to his people to come and drink from the water that will satisfy is wickedness. It's counter what God would have for us. 
And so he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So Father, tonight we come to you thirsty. God, we come to you in response to your invitation that you initiated with us because of your mercy and your grace. We return to you tonight, God. If there's anybody in this place, God, that or actually all of us in areas and in places of our hearts and our lives that have gone wayward, God, we return to you tonight. And I pray that every heart would be open. God, that every mind would receive and be transformed by your word. And God, that we would leave here changed, different from when we came in, closer to you, in relationship, walking in a deeper, more meaningful way. Anoint my words, God. I pray that your words would flow through my lips. Anoint these lips that only your words would flow. Holy Spirit, I need you. And I surrender to you now in Jesus' name. And if you're thirsty, say amen. Amen. So that was the prelude. It's a little word that the Lord was speaking to me actually all week. Uh, Just because there's areas in my life that sometimes I get distracted. We just had our fourth baby. She's three months old. And uh, yeah, praise God. We're excited. You can listen to that journey and that story on the podcast. I shared it a few weeks ago here at first. Uh, But we are blessed and busy. (laughs) And it's so easy to get distracted. I'm in ministry with the Gideons International in Canada. And, and so it's, it's easy to even get distracted in doing the right things and forget about the most important thing, which is living a life that has surrendered to a pursuit of a relationship of a person named Jesus Christ. So tonight I want to talk to you about something that is very critical to the Christian walk. Something, it's actually a key that God showed me very early in my walk with Jesus. When I first got saved, uh, I was 21 or 22 years old. My life uh, was a bit of a gong show. It was a bit of a mess. I partied pretty hard. Uh, I wasn't really looking for God. I wasn't interested in God. Uh, I wasn't really thinking that I needed God. I was living the life. I thought that I had it all together. I was making good money. I was selling cars. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I was partying uh, probably seven days a week. 24 7 it was a blast we were having a great time but I encountered Jesus and my life took a 180 degree turn how many know what I'm talking about but see in the beginning stages of my of my walk with Jesus maybe I'll just share a bit of the story how I got there but um I went to Australia to travel and backpack around and try and find myself how many ever been backpacking in here, there's tons of young adults. They just take off and go backpacking, and and you know, as as I was traveling, uh, I was I was asking those core questions: What is my purpose in life? Like, like what is life all about? I was trying to figure out who I was. I was 19 years old and trying to figure out who I was. And what ended up happening is actually I lost more of who I was to the scene that just sucked 
sucked the life out of me. It was just a big party scene. Anyway, I came back from that and I met Krista, who's now my wife. She's a pastor's daughter. She's a PK and she was working in a nightclub. Uh, she was far from God. She wasn't walking with God. She wasn't, she would say she wasn't a Christian. She knew all the do's and the don'ts. She knew all the rights and the wrongs, but she didn't know Jesus. Her life wasn't surrendered to Jesus. And you know, the funny thing is, was as we dated for about a year, she never, and I, we never talked about God. Like, I wasn't looking for God. But one night, she called me up. I was out with some friends, and she called me up weeping. And she'd been crying for hours. And I said, well, what's wrong? She said, I don't know. So, well, let me come over and give you a hug, and we can talk this through. And I went over there, got there about 45 minutes later. She was still crying. You know your fingers get when you sit in the bathtub too long? Kind of wrinkly like an old man. That's what her cheeks look like. And we went into her bedroom and we sat down on the edge of her bed. I didn't think that was that funny, but okay. We sat down on the edge of her bed and we began to talk about life. We'd never had a a discussion like this before. All I knew is her dad was a pastor and I thought, well, you're doing some things you probably shouldn't do. But whatever, we're having fun. And so we're sitting there and we're talking and I said, well, what's going on inside? Like, what do you feel inside? And she looked at me and she said, I feel empty. And she said, I feel numb. And she said, I feel lost. And I remember I, kept, I, could, I didn't know what it was then, but I know now the presence of God was so thick in that room, that in the presence of God, he began to peel back the layers of the eyes of my heart to see my true condition without him. And she's crying, and I start crying. I said, I feel empty. I feel lost. I feel numb. But what do we do? Why do we buy things that don't satisfy? Why do we go after things that aren't going to satisfy us to fill this void in our hearts and in our lives? We try and seek meaning and identity and purpose and love in all these places that none of them are ever going to satisfy. I said, what do we do? Where do you go? Do you go to like Anthony Robbins? Do you like try and get some positive thinking? Do they even know Anthony Robbins? He's positive thinking or Try and earn success and money and become the person that you've always... What do you do? Where do we go? And I'll never forget, friends. She looked at me. She said, I know exactly what I need to do. She said, I need to get my life right with Jesus. And the moment she said that, it was like an explosion went off on the inside, deep inside. And God spoke to me in that instant. And he said, this is why I created you. Was to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The one who made you. And we started church hopping instead of bar hopping. We used to bar hop. We started church hopping. We landed at CLA where Ben was. And there was about six, seven months. And I want to get to the message here in a second here. But there was six, seven months that I honestly tried to live life on the fence. I had one foot trying to please Jesus. And one foot trying to live the old life that I knew. Because my whole identity was wrapped up in that life. And I remember there was this one Sunday night that the pastor preached on forgiveness and it was like he read my mail. And I flooded, ran to the altar at the end of that message. And I remember hearing God speak to me saying, Casey, you've been on the fence. It's time to choose. 
Are you with me or are you against me? And I remember just weeping, snotty mess, saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. Do whatever you want. My life is yours. Total surrender. Total surrender. And honestly, that six or seven months leading up to that point was probably like a little bit of hell on earth. Some of you might know what I'm talking about when Paul talks about in Romans. He says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I want to do, I don't do? It's this battle between the flesh and the spirit, but the only answer is total surrender. It's getting off of the fence and saying, my life is completely yours. I am dead to myself and I'm alive in Christ. And every breath that I breathe, every step that I take, every decision that I make is based on what I hear and what I see the Father doing in me and speaking to me. Nothing is mine. It is yours. I was dead. You gave me life. And that life that I live is yours. If we look at the word surrender, if we look at the term surrender, it's the act of giving up one's possessions or persons to the authority of another. And here's the thing, you can't surrender your life to Jesus and then live like you're living for yourself the rest of your days. That's not part of the deal. And if you try to live like that, you will experience this tug of war of the soul that is honestly like a little bit of hell on earth. Where you're trying to do the things that you know that you should do and you want to do. But yet you're still trying to hold on to that old life. You're on the fence. The cool thing about that scripture in Romans when he says, why do I do the things that I hate? The things that I don't want to do? And why do I not do the things that I want to do? He says, who will deliver me, O wretched man that I am? And he says, but God. He points us to an answer. He points us to a solution to the problem of being a slave to sin so that we can become a slave to righteousness. And if we've ever heard, needed to hear a message like this in the church amongst our young people, it's right now. Because there is a culture that is telling you that you can praise Jesus and sing whatever you want to sing to him and then live life any way you want. His grace covers it. Let me tell you, friends, his grace doesn't just cover your sin. It empowers you to live free from sin. And unless, yeah, come on, you can give him praise for that. To surrender means to relinquish your own power, your own aims, your own goals. Somebody asked me, what do you want to do with your life? I say, Jesus. No, but what do you want to, Jesus? Yeah, but what do you want to do for your career? Like, what do you want, Jesus? If we really believe the gospel, if we really believe that we will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell, what else is there? What else is there to invest your life in than Jesus Christ and his kingdom coming here on earth? But yet we get distracted. And we look to all these different things. I'm not saying don't pursue a career or have a five-year plan. or all, I, all those things are good. But the core of who you are needs to be anchored in total surrender to Jesus Christ every day of your life. In every decision that you make. What does this mean in spiritual terms? It's the surrender. Surrender is the act of giving back to Jesus full control of the life that he gave to you. He redeemed you, right? 
So if he redeemed you, that means he once owned you. He created you. He made you. He put you on this planet for such a time as this. Every one of you were created with purpose. Every one of you were created and put on the planet for right now, 2017, on purpose. But you will never unlock the purpose of your life without total surrender to the one who gave you life. Without truly giving your life to Jesus. This was my life and always has been. Surrender is the act of giving back to Jesus full control of the life that he gave you. It's to give it back completely. It's the act of relinquishing all control over every area of your life. Some of us were like, you know what? I love Jesus. But Jesus, you know, you can have anything, but just don't touch my music. You know, I love Jesus, just don't touch my drinking. You know, I love Jesus, but just don't touch me, my girlfriend, having sex before marriage. You know, I love Jesus, and I want to give my life to him, but I've I've got my own plan on what I want to do with my life. Trust me, friends, his plan is way better. It's a matter of surrendering to the point where you get your direction in this life from him. You have no other goal or aim. A total resignation of your life to Jesus to do whatever he wants, to go wherever he wants you to go, to say whatever he wants you to say, to do whatever he wants you to do. The Bible teaches that Jesus actually lived like this, even from a very young age. In Luke 2, if you guys remember the story, I'll just give you a bit of a synopsis into this. But in Luke 2, Jesus was 12 years old. And Joseph and Mary, his mom and his dad, they took him to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the Passover, as was tradition to do. And Joseph and Mary walked. They would walk from Bethlehem where, where they were. They would walk where were they? Nazarene? Where did they walk from? They walked a distance. My mind is giving me a brain fart right now. But anyway, they were going to Jerusalem for the Passover, and Jesus was 12 years old. And they did the Passover celebration. In those days, it was custom that the men and the women would actually walk separate. So Joseph is walking with his buddies, and they're talking about the Passover celebration and all that sort of stuff. And Mary's walking with the ladies back there. Maybe Elizabeth is back there talking fashion, whatever they're talking about. And Jesus was actually still in Jerusalem and it was three days before they even realized it. And all of a sudden, maybe Joseph went, hey, you know, I haven't seen Jesus in a while. He's not with Mary. We were at this thing on Saturday, my wife and I, my two-year-old Tobias, he's He's an amazing kid, but he's a busy, busy kid. And, uh, and we were filling out our name tags, and, and it was just me and my three, three oldest kids. And I write their name tag, put one on Tobias. I go to write the next kid's name tag. I look up, and Tobias is gone. And I'm like, uh, Christiana, uh, Sam, where did he go? Like, that was like an in, that was a split second, and he was gone. And I, I don't know how Mary and Joseph would have felt losing Jesus, uh, but... I sure felt like a loser. (laughs) The people were watching me, and then someone found him. He crawled into this little kid's castle thing. Anyway, they lost Jesus, and they go back to Jerusalem to find him, and they find him in the temple. They find him with the teachers and the scholars, amazing them at his understanding of the kingdom. And in Luke 2, 
Verse 47 says, all who heard him were astonished at the understanding at his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I guess so. Verse 49, Jesus' response, he says to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus knew that the purpose of his life was surrender to the Father's business. Even from a young age, he was only 12 years old. See, Jesus was God, born as a man, and he lived as a man in surrender to God. Surrendered to God the Father. And in John 5, verse 19, he says this. He says, most assuredly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. Picture Jesus saying this. Jesus Christ said this. He said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does. Goes on to say in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. I wonder whose will you're living for. Jesus set this example for us of what it means to be surrendered, totally surrendered to the will of the Father. He said, I, didn't, I don't speak unless I hear him speak. I don't act unless I see him acting. He's saying that my heart and the Father's heart beat for the same thing. He was totally surrendered to the will of the Father. John 10.10, many of you can quote this, says the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, he said, I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest, life more abundantly. And we love to quote that. We love to put it on bumper stickers. We love to take that last part, say, you know, God, Jesus promised that I, he came that we could have life and life to the fullest. And we put it on our mirrors and we memorize that scripture and we put it on a coffee mug. And we, we claim that promise over, over our lives. But the key to unlocking the abundant life is total surrender to Jesus. And Mark, I just, I share this with you because I think that we sell ourselves so short. I don't know, when I was first a Christian, when I was 21, 22, 23, you know, our church was going through a bit of a revival. You'd have to show up to church on Sunday nights an hour early to get a seat. Like, God was moving in the place. And once you experience that, you just, you just can't do church. You just can't go back to punching a Sunday time clock. But when you experience the goodness of God and the power of God, you don't settle for anything other than the deeper things that God has for you. And I think that we sell ourselves short by trying to hold on to things that God is calling us to lay down. Here's the key phrase to this whole message. To really live is to die. It's paradox. But to really live the abundant life that God has for you, you need to die to yourself. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this, verse 34. He says, when he called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after 
me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know, when we think of the cross, we think of sacrifice, right? Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And when we think of sacrifice, oftentimes all we think about is what we need to give up. But the reality is what you get in Jesus is far greater than what you need to give up. Or what he calls you to to lay down. We think of sacrifice when we think of picking up our cross. Or maybe we think of obedience. And yes, God wants us to obey. But let me share with you tonight, friends, that the greatest a symbol of love that the world has ever known is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not a Valentine's Day heart or a little Cupid. It's the cross. Because of his great love, he gave himself for you and for me. And yes, he obeyed the Father. Yes, he sacrificed. But it was completely 100% fueled by his passionate love for you and me. And that's what he wants from us. This isn't telling you just do it for the sake of doing it. He's saying fall in love with me and that will fuel your obedience. That will fuel your sacrifice. That will fuel a total surrender because really it's the only response when you understand how good he is. That his love is actually better than life itself. He goes on in verse 35. He says, forever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. What is he saying there? I looked it up in the Greek and I did a bit of a word study. The word that Jesus uses for life there is the word zoe. It's the same word that he used in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that you may have life to the fullest. Abundant life. Overflowing life. The fullness of life. And I don't know about you, but I look around at the church in North America and I'm wondering where the heck that Zoe is. Because I think that if it was active in my life and in your life to the measure that God has for us, we would be making a far greater impact in this nation. We would be making a far greater impact in this city. We would be making a far greater impact because we would only do what the Father does. We would only say what the Father is telling us to say. He's saying whoever desires to save his life, if you desire to live a life of complacency, if you desire just to settle settle in to this place where you never step out and risk for the kingdom of God, where you never step out in faith and risk for the things that God has for your life, if you desire to hold on to the things of this earth that give you comfort, you'll lose the life that God has for you. And I don't think he's necessarily just talking about eternal life here. Because how many of you know that you can step into the promised land and still be on the borders? And never go into the fullness of that promised land that God has and experience the land that is flowing with milk and honey. You can go into the promised land and sit here on the border where it's comfortable. But I want to challenge you tonight, friends, that God is calling you to go all the way with Jesus tonight. To be all in. To throw down everything, everything that holds you back. And totally surrender your life to Jesus. 
If he desires to save his life, he'll lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake. What he's saying there, when he says that, he's saying, if you lose your life in pursuit of me. Notice how it starts with a relationship. He's saying, if you lose your life in pursuit of a passionate, intimate relationship with me. And that does involve reading the word. We did a study, uh, the Gideons, in partnership with another ministry or a few ministries a while ago. You can tell I read my Bible because the pages are falling out. And the stats came back. They were staggering. Only 11% of Christians in Canada, those who claim to be Christians in Canada, actively engage in reading their word at least once once a week. I'm not talking about once a day. Like 78% of people who say that they are Christians seldom or never read their Bible. And there's seasons, there's times in my life I'm part of both of those percentages. That's just a reality. There's no condemnation. I'm just saying that if you want to get to know Jesus, get to know him through his word. I'm just saying that if you want to have an understanding of what God is saying and what he's asking you to do with your life, I was telling Ben the other day at pinnacle points in my life and walking things out in faith, the anchor for my soul was the word. God always used the word to call me out of something into something else. says, if you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, man. What is he saying there? Saying, fall in love with me and share my love with the world and you'll have abundant life. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I like fast things. I've jumped out of a plane at 10,000 feet with a stranger strapped to my back who had the parachute hoping that he was going to pull it. I've done a whole bunch of crazy fun things in my life, but I can tell you this, friends, that there is no rush. There is no feeling of joy that compares to seeing a life impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and playing just a small part of that. I was in my cul-de-sac riding my bike with my kids the other day, and there was this older East Indian lady that was going door to door in my cul-de-sac. She was kind of just hobbling all along with this book and this bag. And she came up to me in broken English. She said, where do you live? I said, I just live here. And she said, uh, uh, I'm here because I want to ask you for money for blind people in India. And she started to show me pictures of herself with these blind people, young and old in India that she was ministering to. And I just heard the voice of the Lord tell me that she has no peace. And I just looked at her and I said, you know what? Jesus can heal them. She goes, yeah, well, I don't know. I just started to speak into her life what I heard the Father say. And I said, you know what? You have no peace. She looked at me and she said, how do you know my feelings? I said, because I'm anchored to the one who made you. I'm hooked up to the source. And my little girl was watching that. My boy was watching that. She kept telling her Jesus loved her. I invited her out to church. I gave her a scripture. 
called Light Magazine with a bunch of just Bible verses in it that our ministry did for India. A bunch of Indian people in it. And I gave it to her and I said, you know, God loves you so much. She told me that she has no peace and she's tormented because her son committed suicide a year ago. He was 21 years old. Just that five minutes that it took to share the gospel with her, it made the rest of my day. There's nothing that compares to impacting a life with the gospel, and that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to experience Zoe, the abundant life, he's saying, fall in love with me. Lose your life in pursuit of me, and for the sake of the gospel, sharing his love with the world, and you will find it. And you will find it. He says this in verse 36. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The one thing that I know in pursuit of Jesus, when you understand the depths of his love for you and for the world, you can't help but tell people. It just bubbles over. It just flows over into people's life. And Jesus is saying, if you want to experience life to the fullest, that's the key right there to unlocking it. Total surrender. Paul, one of the authors, and we're going to close. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. One of the authors of the majority of the New Testament He did a lot in his life that was amazing for the kingdom, but it was all anchored in this place of total surrender. And this is what he writes to the church in Rome. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people like you and me that already have a faith in Jesus, but are maybe on the borders, maybe on the outskirts of their walk with Jesus, maybe on the fence where they're trying to continue to stay in the world when God is calling them to be set apart, to be different. And he puts it another way. He exemplified this with his life and he puts it this way in Romans 12. He says, I beseech you, Therefore, and if you look at that word beseech, he's literally saying, I beg you, brothers and sisters. If you look at the book of Romans, he talks about how we're sinners lost without God. But then he talks about how the grace change, grace of God changes everything. And it leads up to this place in Romans 12 where it kind of takes a turn. It kind of turns the corner. And, Ro- and Paul is writing to the church. He's saying, because of the mercies and grace of God, because you were once dead and now you're alive, because you were once a slave to sin, now you're a slave to righteousness. He's saying, therefore, this is what it looks like. To live a surrendered life. He's like, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
It's only by the mercies of God that we can present ourselves a living sacrifice. It's not because of our own goodness. It's not because of our best efforts. But it's actually from a place of humility that says, I need you. Where else would I go? What else would I do with this life other than totally surrender it to you? And you know the problem with a living sacrifice, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet all over this place. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it always wants to get off of the altar. And that's why Paul says, he writes in the Bible, he says, I die daily. He's like, I make a choice. Paul is appealing here to the church and he's saying, make a choice. I beg you to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord for this is your reasonable service. He's like, this this isn't even far-fetched. This is actually your reasonable service. It's the only thing that makes sense when you understand how much he loves you. When you understand the cost that it cost him so that he could redeem you from sin. When you understand that you were dead and he made you alive in Christ. When you understand that he purchased you with his blood. The only thing that makes sense is I'm all in. I'm all yours. Whatever it looks like, God, whatever it costs me, wherever you want me to go, whatever decisions you want me to make, wherever you want me to go, I will do it because I'm all yours. I give myself as a living sacrifice. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable And perfect will of God. Total surrender brings transformation. Total surrender brings total transformation. And I'm just going to ask this is an altar. You could deal, God could deal with you right where you are, but. If God has spoken something, maybe there's an area of your life that you have set as off limits to God. Maybe there's sin in your life and you know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and he's calling you out. He's calling you to lay something down. Trust me, I am speaking this from my own life this week. I've just been distracted. And I've come back to this place, returning to God in total surrender and said, what else is there? So as we sing this next song, as we close with this song, I want to invite anybody who is thirsty to return to the living water that will only satisfy the deepest desires of your soul. To come to the altar and present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy unto God. He's the one that makes you holy. When we look at that word holy, it means set apart. What if the church was a church of people set a, set a fire, set apart because they were totally surrendered to the Father, only doing what he does, only saying what he says? What would that look like in our city? What would that look like in our culture? So if that's you tonight, 
and you've been living on the fence, I want to invite you to come right now. Come on, this takes take guts. But you know what Jesus said? He said, if you're ashamed of me before people, he said, I'll be ashamed of you when the angels come. Yeah, bless you. If there's something in your life, I know the struggle as a young adult. Man, you want to fit in with your friends. You want to go with the flow. But maybe God is calling you to be a torchbearer. Maybe he's calling you to set a new standard. Maybe he's calling you to blaze a trail for your friends to follow as somebody who is totally surrendered to the will of God in your life. Come to the altar and present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. God, you see every person right now. You know the story. You know the circumstance. You know the situation. You know the struggle. You know the battle. You know the sin. You know the things that we try to hold on to. Whatever it is right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that this day, September 11, 2017, would mark the new beginning for each and every person that responded to you tonight. I pray, God, that you would take our lives. Take our lives, God. Do whatever you want to do, God. Help us to set our eyes on Jesus. To fix our eyes on your kingdom. And not be distracted. Not be detoured. Not be delayed in pursuing the purposes of God in our lives. So I pray, God, that every person that's the front, every person in their seats, even, God, that you would continue to deal with our hearts as we worship you one more time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's worship him.